Harry, the mother mother and baby home redress scheme. Some people are in it, some aren't. There are limits to who this covers and critics have accused the scheme of, of drawing an arbitrary line at the six-month mark. Can you just give us an insight into who are the haves and who are the have-nots in this? Yeah, I mean, this, I mean, there, there, are one of, there are also um, more kind of... Uh, uh, holistic problems with the scheme itself. If we go back to the beginning of the scheme when uh, uh, abuse in institution first came to light, uh, there was a very controversial deal that was agreed at, agreed between uh, the then Fianna Fáil-led government and the religious orders uh, in relation to compensation and redress. And that uh, uh, provided that the religious orders pay a total of £128 million and then be indemnified beyond that. So essentially they had to come up, pony up 128 million, uh, which they did more or less in, in, in after 2002. But in the intervening years, of course, there were far more revelations and disclosures about abuse in, in institutions that were run by religious orders. And in 2009, the government began negotiations with religious orders in relation to trying to get agreement on a 50-50 uh, payment and when you tot it all up, uh, I, I think that the overall payment uh, would come to 1.5 billion. But some of the um, some of the institutions have dragged their feet in relation. But well, some of the orders that took legal steps to put property and assets in trusts, trust, mm-hmm. yeah, that would be specific purpose trusts for where the assets could only be used for one, say, educational purpose. And as a result, they could argue, well, we'd love to give you more, but we can't because mm. the conditions of these assets yeah, being they took, liquidated they, mean they must be yeah, used for the purpose well, the, intended. Yeah, the, the, the important point is that there was no, they weren't compelled legally. It, it, it wasn't, the, the, the agreement that was reached didn't have legal force. But what the religious orders did was they took steps uh, to ensure uh, that the property was put beyond the reach uh, of the state or of others if legislation were ever to be introduced, that would put the kind of, uh, that would give uh, statutory backing uh, to that particular uh, agreement. So in, a, in, in, in an event, in, in the event, they were, they were uh, you know, using a, a kind of the foreseeability uh, uh, devices that had been used in places like Australia by religious orders in order to avoid paying future compensation. But the net effect is of the seven, 750 million euro uh, that religious institutions uh, have have be have are meant to pay uh, under this kind of voluntary agreement in 2009 uh, they've only come up with an estimated 400 480 million and some of the property that's been offered as part of that probably isn't worth the amount uh, that was stated back in 2007 when they did all the audit on all of the property that was owned by the religious orders so essentially they they've tried to to circumvent a a future law that has yet to materialise. All right, although that property value may not be far off it uh, in in the climate we're in Mm. at the moment. Kathleen Funchen, just on on that issue of of compensation first, on what legal basis could religious orders or religious institutions be compelled to improve their offering in compensation? Yes, we'd have to change obviously legislation to to ensure that they would have they would be compelled, and something like this was done in Australia where they actually changed in their legislation the statute of limitations on people taking cases, child abuse cases, and so as a result of that, 
um, I suppose the religious orders knew that they would be in court and they would probably lose those cases and be in court for a very long time with, with the amount of cases. So I suppose it was, uh, you know, in the end, they actually agreed to some sort of um, a deal or to, or to pay towards the compensation. And I think that we need to start looking at situations like that because what seems to be happening now, and I'm glad we're actually covering this topic because a lot of survivors really feel that, you know, people think that this whole situation is done. It's not done. Not one penny, first of all, has been paid out yet in compensation. Anybody that spent less than six months... This is now not, has not been spent in compensation for people who are in mother and baby. Mother and baby yes. institutions, yeah. Anyone who was born into an, into an institution and spent less than six months there is straight away excluded. And anybody whose uh, institution was not on the list that the mother and baby um, investigation, commission of investigation looked at. So if you weren't included in that commission of investigation, if your home was not on that list, you're automatically excluded as and, well. And the numbers so are, there's about, amount, I think, 34, there's 58,000 people in total of whom 34 are deemed eligible and 24,000 people are, are excluded. Yeah, so 40%, it equates to 40% of survivors. So you're never going to have a good scheme that starts off by excluding 40% to people and I think we need to look at other jurisdictions I'd love to to look at that Australian model more and see how we could put a lot more pressure because right right now what's happening is it seems to be letters basically saying um, we want you to pay in towards this I mean like that's actually ridiculous when you think about it there needs to be far more pressure and like these institutions came out and acknowledged their role and apologised for their role so they need to be held to account and I would say it's similar as well for a lot of the pharmaceutical companies um, you know, These are pharmaceutical companies that in run the vaccine, vaccine trials, trials. Yeah. yeah but I do think we need to really focus in because in some of the other schemes and they certainly weren't perfect um, as Harry has spoken about but at the same time at least there was there was some level of, of negotiation like we're two or three years into this and there doesn't seem to be any commitment on the part of religious orders of, of exactly what they're going to pay when they're going to pay it and you know time is of the essence in Well we're at, to at this. a point where I think there are only 14 or so thalidomide survivors left who are still looking for an apology exactly. and, uh, yeah. and, and haven't received and, it and, and the age cohort of a lot of survivors you know, time really is invaluable here. And like already since this whole, since I've personally been involved in the situation, I know of people that have passed away that never got to see that level of justice. And it's very, very frustrating for, for people uh, involved. Uh, I'm not an expert on it, but I think the, the statute of changing the statute of limitations might have slight difficulties in relation to passing the constitutional hurdle, as, as it were. Retrospective application. Retrospective is it? application. I mean... Uh, that would be something that would have to be teased. All right. But to, to me, it might there might be difficulty with that. Annie Howie, one of the other outstanding legal issues it's believed is, is, well, it's not it's believed, it's the case that Ireland doesn't provide for the ability for people to take class actions, uh, which and it's been suggested that's a change that might be made in this situation. What, what, what remedy, is that a remedy you'd see for it or, or what else would you see as a way of pushing this forward if you agree with it? Well, of course, I agree with it. Um, and I really struggle to marry the fact that religious orders who are supposed to be moral beacons for society have been skirting paying up for something that was possibly one of the most immoral things that we have done as an Irish society. I re- every time we discuss this, I really struggle with that, I have to be honest with you. Well, I suppose the um, argument could be made that the state, as it constituted itself at the beginning, outsourced religious educational, uh, sorry, education and health services uh, to the church. So in effect, religious order's role was acting as a proxy for what the state should have been doing. And therefore, the state should bear a greater proportion of the cost than the religious orders who were in effect just the contractors. 
Yeah, well, I mean, they didn't, the orders didn't, well, sometimes they rounded up uh, pregnant women and put them in the homes. Like, the state, of course, has to bear some responsibility for this. But, you know, when we hear about orders putting things into into schemes so that the state can't get their hands on them, that 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 stinks to high heaven to me, if you could excuse the, the piece. So I suppose, I mean, I, I would absolutely support the class action piece um, or, or any, I mean, I, I'm really interested in the Australian model that uh, Catherine is talking about. And I think when, when we're talking about that the religious orders have uh, done things in order to circumvent future legislation, well, then we simply need to think about what different, do you know what I mean? Like, that can't be the only proposed legislation that we can look at. All right, F- um, find I, a way, I, in effect, is, is, is your argument, is it? Yeah, I, I think this is something that's serious enough and big enough and so time sensitive that I really think we have to, I just, I can't comprehend, you know, all of us have spoken to people who've been affected by this. My heart rips open when I speak to people all right. talking about, it's unbelievable. We have, I can't comprehend how we haven't found a way Malcolm to compensate Newton. for I suppose the, the net issue for the 24,000 people who have not been compensated, but you know, the, the, the state, religious orders, whoever, um, in terms of compensating them and acknowledging what they went through, what what will be done in order to to address that situation? Because the six month cut off point, I mean, even for 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 a child to be taken from its mother after six months, for the for them to end up in the mother and baby home in the first place. What's the difference between six months, eight months, nine months, a year? Yeah, I, I suppose. Well, to start, uh, the it is the um, the largest scheme of its type in in the state. Uh, we anticipated thirty four thousand eligible people. I think on the com- compelability issue, uh, the government is has been clear that all relevant parties have a collective responsibility to respond to the legacy of the institutions, and that includes the re- religious uh, institutions and and who had a historical involvement and and minister of government. Uh, does want to secure a financial contribution from uh, the religious bodies and and has appointed Sheila Noonan to lead those negotiations. They're ongoing. Um, they're ongoing and, and a, a full report is to be provided to government in relation to that uh, once those negotiations are concluded. But they're, they are confidential negotiations, as, as you can appreciate. Um, but I think the other elements of the work that in terms of the, the legislation that was signed into into law uh, around the... But the religi- whether the religious orders contribute or they don't... It- they didn't draw the line of six months in 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 pursuit of this. So that arbitrary line is, is the business of government. Do you think it could be revised? It, well, it's it's a it's, it is a very expensive scheme, and Minister Gorman has gone had gone know, further than f- was even recommended. Fixing fixing houses with pyrite is a very expensive scheme, and those people were looked after because of the pain and suffering they'd no, been I said through. Expensive, not expensive. So I do. Oh, yeah. I, I beg your yeah. pardon. I misheard yeah. you there. That's okay. Um, so I, I just to say that uh, I, I, it, it's um, you know I think it is a very expansive scheme, and as I said, the minister had gone further than than was recommended. But is sixty percent of the people affected really that expansive? I think. I mean, I think these uh, you know these are issues. Um, as I said, the issue around the compatibility of the of the uh, religious institutions that's critically important. I think it's critically important. Uh, you know, the other elements of the scheme around the access to birth information, the intervention at the the site of the two mother and baby home, and the National uh, Centre for Research in terms of the acknowledgement uh, at um, at the at Sean McDermott Street. All of those are critically important to survivors too. But I think all of those things. 
like should be done like people should be able to get their records and their information that stuff that some so many of us including myself take for granted I mean you would never think that you can't get your birth cert well I would have never thought that and yet there was a huge amount of people that weren't able to access their birth cert so like I, you know, it's. I don't think it's good enough to say that, well, we're letting people access their records and that's part of the redress too. That should just be available to people as a right. Their medical information, their backgrounds, their identities, their stories. Like, so the, the money, we all know right. that action speaks louder than words and, and the redress, the, the financial compensation. Because we have to remember, there's a huge amount of people who have never been able to work as a result of the time spent in the institutions and as a result of the trauma and everything that they suffered. And they've never... Up to date, they haven't gotten any compensation for that. So I think it's really, really important that we do everything in our power to compel the... They are religious. It's another. It's another issue we'll be returning to 